From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Hey, welcome to the program. Good to have you aboard. We've got a good one for you over the next hour. We're going to talk about alien abduction. And uh, one of the, uh, we've got two uh, women about to join us. Kathleen Martin uh, works full-time as an author, an alien abduction researcher, and lecturer with more than 23 years' experience in the field and is the niece, this is cool, she's the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. Who are Betty and Barney Hill, you say? Well, they are the first abductees whose uh, story really stirred worldwide interest back in the early 60s. The Betty and Barney Hill case is just, it's right up there in the pantheon sort of of, of UFO ET research. It's sort of the alien abduction equivalent to, it's like the Roswell of the alien abduction world. So Kathleen Martin is standing by. Also, Denise Stoner. Now, she's another veteran in the uh, alien abduction field as well. She spent more than 21 years researching the alien abduction phenomenon, documenting the physical and psychological impact of abduction on experiencers and working one-on-one with abductees. For many years, she's hosted uh, private meetings for groups of abductees. She's been lecturing on the alien abduction phenomenon and appearing on numerous radio shows. And she's slated to appear on PBS TV later this year. She lives near Orlando, Florida, as does Kathleen Martin. And it's a delight to have both Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner here on The Conspiracy Show. Hello. 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 Thanks for having us. And uh, congratulations on uh, your your book, The Alien Abduction Files, the most startling cases of human-alien contact ever reported. Now, Kathleen, if I could start with you. Uh, your aunt and uncle, of course, Betty and Barney Hill. This is, uh, as I say, this is the, the case that everyone, this is sort of ground zero when, we, when people talk about alien abduction cases. Although, you know, you could go all the way back to, to the Bible, probably, to the first alien abduction case, suppose, uh, possibly, if you talk about Ezekiel. Uh, but what did your aunt and uncle, I mean, how well did you know them uh, growing up? I knew Betty and Barney very, very well. Uh, they lived 20 miles from my childhood home. Betty was my mother's older sister. Uh, my grandparents lived across the street from me, and Betty and Barney visited us uh, once or twice a week. Uh, we, we were a close-knit family and always enjoyed each other's company. I heard about their uh, UFO story the day that they arrived home after having a close encounter in New Hampshire's White Mountains, Betty had called my mother because she was concerned that the UFO had covered over their car so close that um, they might have been exposed to uh, radioactivity, and she wanted to know what they should do. And we had a neighbor who was a, a physicist, and my mother offered to call him for his advice. And within a couple of days, the whole family went to Betty's and Barney's house. We heard the stories with our own ears in person, saw the spots on the trunk of the car that uh, Betty had discovered when she took a compass out at the suggestion of this physicist neighbor of mine. And uh, the compass needle would spin and spin, indicating that there was an, uh, a magnetic field uh, around the trunk of that car. And this was a spot where Betty and Barney recalled that the craft seemed to be emitting some kind of beeping or buzzing sound 
uh, as it's the these waves or whatever they were was striking the trunk of their vehicle and causing the vehicle to vibrate and for this tingling sensation to pass through Betty's and Barney's bodies. Almost immediately after this occurred, they simply lost track of time. And the next memory they had is of becoming aware of the fact that they were 35 miles down the road with very little memory of what had happened in the interim. They remembered that a, uh, a fiery orb was uh, in front of them, silhouetted in the road. It was moving, but they were not moving. And they also remembered a roadblock. They didn't know where or when that occurred. They were startled awake by the second series of buzzing sounds on the trunk of the car, and then they headed south to their home, arriving a couple of hours later than anticipated. Betty's dress was torn in several locations. The tops of Barney's shoes were scraped. There was no prosaic explanation for this. The binocular strap that Barney had used to look up at this craft to observe the non-humans on board it uh, was also severed cleanly and their watches had stopped running and never ran again. Obviously, you know, we could we could do a, a five-hour show on just the, the Betty and Barney Hill case, and, and um, you know, it's been so well documented over the years. Uh, but I, 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 before I welcome Denise Stoner to the program, I just I wanted, to, Kathleen, to, to ask you, uh, not that I'm trying to, you know, sort of in a sneaky fashion find out how old you are, but, you know, we're talking about the early 60s here. Um, so, I mean, this must have had an incredible impact on your young mind and just thrown you for a loop. I mean, never mind what happened to Betty and Barney Hill. As an impressionable young uh, a girl... Um, yes, I was 13 years old when this occurred, and it was startling uh, and also extremely interesting to me. So was the die cast, did, did, did that cemented for you, this is what I'm going to research? Uh, I just became so curious over it as investigators investigated the case and and it unfolded, and then Betty and Barney underwent separate hypnosis sessions with Dr. Benjamin Simon in mm-hmm. Boston over a sure. six-month period. I was very curious about the information that was revealed through hypnosis, so I followed this case throughout my life. And it, uh, I had a professional career, and it was about 1988 when I decided that I wanted to research and investigate this for myself, and my Aunt Betty agreed uh, to open up her files to me. And over the next 14 years or so, she turned over uh, about 40 years of investigation files with all the original reports, letters to and from scientists, the hypnosis tapes. There was a wealth of information that I was able to use uh, for my first book, captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience with nuclear physicist and um, resident of Canada, Stanton T. Friedman. Yes, yes, of course. Kathleen Marden and Denise Stoner are with us, and the book is The Alien Abduction Files, the most startling cases of human-alien contact ever reported. Over to Denise. Denise, how did you hook up with uh, with Kathleen uh, and, and, and come together for this venture? Well, I had read uh, about Kathleen and her her books, of course, 
And I was always very cautious about who I told what to and who I talked to about certain things. And I had begun to email her a little bit back and forth. And um, then she came down to speak. And we met um, at a certain point, and I invited her to lunch and discovered she had moved to Florida. So when she came to lunch, we started talking and by accident discovered we had both lived in Colorado at the same time, but didn't know it. And we lived in different towns, but only uh, a few miles apart and began to discuss the area and so forth and so on and and just the synchronicity of the whole thing. And I thought, I wonder, I feel comfortable, should I begin to mention some of the things that happened to me. So I did. I tested the waters, and uh, she questioned me, as she should have. And then once I, I began to tell her of this one experience and that I had lost all the tapes and all the information and documentation that a, a doctor in Colorado had had on me, she offered to do the hypnosis work again to see if we could recover what I had lost. So, Tom, tell and, me about your, your, your missing time uh, episode. Well, my husband and I were in Colorado, and we went often to a campsite that we kept a, a little mobile home on, as did my parents. We lived in Denver. They lived in Colorado Springs. And we went as many weekends as we could in the summer and when the weather was fairly clear in the winter. And this one summer in August 1982, we decided we were going to spend a long weekend. And we both worked, so we got off work a little early. We were packing the vehicle and uh, left at about 5 p.m. We were pretty tight on our timing because my parents were waiting on the other end for us. My mom was going to cook dinner and have it ready because they would arrive about an hour ahead of us and have a campfire ready to start for the evening so we could just relax when we get there. So <clears throat> we left town. There was quite a bit of traffic to begin with, everybody wanting to leave town for the weekend. And we reached an area that was clear of traffic and headed up what was called Kenosha Pass. And it was a, it was a mountain pass that when you reached the peak of it, you could look down over a beautiful glacier valley. And that was sunlight, gorgeous sunlight, that you could see the whole valley ahead of you. And below that was a little town called Jefferson, just at the foot of that pass. So I was looking around. My husband and I were talking. Our daughter was asleep in the back seat and the little dog in, our little dog in the front seat with us. So as we passed down, well, we got out of the car first. There's a little stop at the top of Kenosha. You can get out, stretch your legs. We did that. And then stayed no longer than five to ten minutes because, again, our timing. And we had a fairly new car, but we'd ha we thought we might be having some trouble with the mileage. So my husband had set the odometer, the trip meter. And uh, we checked that again. It was fine. Headed down Kenosha Pass. And I noticed, as I looked out over the valley, two very bright lights. Really, really bright. So I just studied them and thought, hmm, some kind of anomaly? Is the sun reflecting on something? Although I knew that valley very well. There were no buildings. It was just vacant, 
open high desert. Denise, I'm just going to sneak in here and uh, we'll uh, take a time out. We'll come back on the other side, continue to talk with Denise Stoner and Kathleen Martin, authors of The Alien Abduction Files, the most startling cases of human alien contact ever reported here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner uh, stay with us as we discuss their book, The Alien Abduction Files, The Most Startling Cases of Human-Alien Contact Ever Reported. Kathleen Martin, uh, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, of course, the first abductees whose story stirred worldwide interest. And uh, Denise uh, has spent 21 years researching the alien abduction phenomenon and um, is herself a... uh, can I call you a victim of lifetime abductions, Denise? <laughs> well, I don't like the word victim because I, I've always been brought back, and I, I just don't know how to how to call it. I really don't. I'm not sure. Let's not put a name to it yet. <laughs> All right. All right. But uh, let, 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 if you could just – I wish we had – I could drill down for three hours and talk about you with this, and I, I only have a short time. So if I could get you just to, uh, to give us maybe the thumbnail sketch of, okay. of what happened. Uh, sure. As we discuss your 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 incident, your time uh, your missing time in Colorado. All right. Well, when we got to the base of the pass uh, and started across the Glacier Valley, the lights ended up over the top of the car briefly, without going into any other detail. Over the top of the car, I looked at my husband. He was non-communicado. He wasn't responding to anything I said. Staring straight ahead. Hands over the steering wheel, I, I could get no response. And then I realized that those lights attached to something, a large object, were over the car. I felt the tires scraping sideways, and the car was leaving the road out of control. We had no control. And then the car lifted over snow barriers that were on the side of the road and went right out into the high desert. I soon realized the car was going to land. And when it did and settled down, our memories were gone until... We ended up on another pass, the one we were trying to reach for, and it was then pitch dark. should have still been daylight. Hours had passed, and we were terrified, disoriented, very fearful. The odometer had not changed, and it should have marked the time through that valley. We stopped. We discussed it for a minute, could come to no conclusions, drove on the seven to nine miles. We had to go to our campsite. My parents were waiting for us, ready to walk to the ranch house to call, because there were no cell phones in 1982, to call fire departments, police, hospitals. And then my, my dad was going to leave to come and look for us on the one road that we would have traveled, off the side of the mountain in a, in a ditch. He didn't know where. And when they asked us where we had been, our response was, we don't know. But we had been missing for over three hours. Three hours, my God! And this was—is mm. uh, was much of this incident um, brought back to you through um, a regression uh, session, or how did this information? Well, come to yes, you? I, I had been having flashes of faces and big eyes and some uh, something physical being done to me, and I'd had all these things that needed to be all attached like a puzzle piece. And so I had the hypnosis done and hooked it all together, and it was very frightening what had been done. And even though I kind of knew in my mind, 
you know, consciously, it, it wouldn't hook together when I was awake. So pretty soon after the hypnosis, it definitely was. All the pictures came together like they should. Uh, as we've learned, uh, uh, these abductions tend to be generational. Let me, let me go back to Kathleen for a moment. Kathleen, uh, as the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, when you began to research this, did you find that Betty and Barney Hill were not the only ones in the family to experience this? Uh, yes, I, I did find that. The other family members wished to remain anonymous, but there are several members of the family who have indicated to me that they suspect they might have been taken as well. And uh, when you got to know Denise and, and became familiar with with her uh, abductions, did that did that begin? Uh, I mean, what what new information did, did that bring to you, uh, Denise's experiences, or did it merely confirm what you had sort of begun to assemble on on your own? Well, I had been researching uh, alien abduction uh, on nearly a full time basis for uh, close to twenty two years at that point. So I had a good working knowledge of alien abduction. And the statements that Denise made under hypnosis about her onboard experience was consistent with what uh, information that I had received from others. And for you, Denise, these fleeting images that you had, faces of aliens, there's a sketch in the book of kind of an insect, insectoid-type creature. Uh, yes. Were all of your experiences with this type of, of, uh, of alien, the insect? No. No, I called that one the doctor. He did all the medical procedures on me, but there was a tall gray over five feet tall that came for me that time and all the other times that I knew about in my life. And he's just one that's there. I don't know if he's ageless and timeless, but he's the one that comes for me and escorts me to whatever craft and then the insectoid individual is there. And uh, you've had uh, uh, X-rays and CAT scans and, 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 and various medical procedures. Not, not. I'm not talking about the ones performed aboard a craft, but down here. Uh, yes. What have they? What have they found? Uh, is there anything uh, different about you neurologically, or, or how is your health? Well, I've had some very odd health things. My, I have a genetic, but not through my parents and my heritage, blood disorder that can't be diagnosed. And it's been very, very odd. One minute my blood will clot. If they try to do anything too much about that, I, I will bleed out and I've required to be given blood. They have to be very, very careful what they're doing. They're not sure how to balance it. They're, they just don't know what they're doing. This has been since 1969. Um, I have quite a few odd things. I've, I have chronic fatigue, and that I've been taking care of pretty much myself. I have an odd sleep disorder, and I've come through with something that's possible. I, I received walking into the core of the ship, and Kathleen has that on video, my reaction to that. And I have that actually physically, and that is undiagnosed. No one knows what it is. It has to do with muscles and nerves reacting in a strange way. 
um, and I react oddly when I'm put in an MRI machine, I may not be able to, to enter one again. Uh, Kathleen, these strange undiagnosed <clears throat> illnesses, uh, is this consistent with the alien abduction I don't know what to call them. I mean, if it happened to me, I would incline to consider myself a victim. But um, I don't know what you know the, what terminology. But the, the alien abduction cases, these undiagnosed illnesses—is that consistent? Is that a commonality? Well, I have to say to you that uh, Denise and I collaborated together on a UFO abduction experience or survey. It was a research project that we conducted over a one-year period. There were fifty experiencers and a 25-person control group that participated in the study. And what we discovered is that uh, 38% of the experiencers have a formal medical diagnosis of chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome, although less than 1% of the the general population has that uh, same diagnosis. And also, uh, there's a very high rate of incidence of migraine headaches among abduction experiencers where it is about 10 to 11 percent among the general population. So there is definitely an elevated rate of certain disorders among experiencers. Uh, that the, one of the things that you, you, you drill down on in the book is um, details of alien experimental procedures. What have you, the two of you, learned uh, about what actually goes on aboard these craft in terms of, of whatever they're doing to experiencers, these aliens? What, what, what types of experimental procedures do you, you believe are being performed? Well, for me, I would have to say from people that I've worked with and for myself that in the beginning, if you're taken as a child, which the majority of people are, it has something to do with... They're teaching you something. What that is, we can't unlock yet. We don't know when it will. Something happens to restrict you from disclosing what you have learned in the majority of cases. Uh, We don't know what the key is yet. We're working on that. Second, I think that the majority of females are being used as breeders in different shapes and forms, and there's a lot of medical procedure involved in that. And third, if you continue to be taken, which I am, I had an experience in February, I, I think, again, that we're being used for something because they're still taking skin punctures, they're still scraping skin, they're still doing things that indicate they're needing parts of our genetic makeup. Do you have anything to add to that, Kathleen? Uh, yes. Many, many people report that s- tissue samples are taken and that uh, emotional experiments are done uh, in order to uh, evoke a strong emotional response to a certain uh, image, perhaps on a screen or a holographic image. They seem to be very interested in the range of human emotions. I'm curious about, uh, you know, I, again, I use the term uh, victim, and, and that's one, obviously, Denise, you're not comfortable with, and, and Kathleen, you use the term experiencers. But here we're talking about forcible confinement. We're talking about abduction, forcible confinement, being experimented on, uh, being, you know, prodded and, and poked and, and, and things, you know, implanted possibly. Um, this, to me, sounds like 
a nightmare. Uh, and and I I have limited experience in in, in dealing with abductees. I've, I've spoken with maybe a dozen, a dozen and a half over the years, who I think are are credible. Uh, they are very hesitant to talk about it. Their lives, in many in many of those cases, were just ruined. Um, and yet, in, in in one of the things that you talk about in the book are the are the benefits of living life as an abduction experiencer. Let me let me start with Denise. I, I just I find that incredibly interesting that, that there would be benefits of living life as an, an alien abduction experiencer. Well, I believe that in my case, I, I spent three days in in deep study of myself, my mind, my beliefs. The, the way that I lived my life and what did I want to do with that because I was an experiencer. And it opened my mind to the fact that there were so many things out there that I hadn't learned, wasn't willing to accept or even think about or consider about the human being, the world, the universe. And, and that was given to me as a gift, I believe, um, because I didn't want to restrict myself anymore to the possibilities of of what we have here. So I have to say that for that reason, I don't consider myself a victim. And I can't call this uh, victimization because what if they're doing this for our own good? At, At what point we might discover the reason and discover that it's a good thing? I don't know, but I don't want to cancel out the fact that this might occur in the future. So I'm not going to call it that. I'm an experiencer, and I'm going to remain that until we discover the reason for their being here. Wow, I have to say, Denise, you're a very uh, sort of forgiving, patient, uh, understanding woman. I mean, I think uh, I can't imagine, you know, no one can imagine uh, what you've been through. Uh, but if it were happen- to happen to me, I-, I would just be just so bloody angry. I, I-, I can't imagine uh, well, I've, I've been angry. I don't sleep at night, not until after 4 a.m. in the morning. I have a little cocoon built in the bed thinking that's going to help matters <laughs> if I don't want to be taken. There are a lot of fear factors, absolutely, but you just kind of deal with it. And once that element of fear is gone and, and you arrange your sleeping pattern around what you're dealing with, then that's about it. You, you take the rest in stride if you can, and if you don't, you seek out a support system or support group like I give. Uh, uh, Kathleen, in, in the abduction experiencers that that you've uh, spoken with, do they do they share Denise's views? Uh, they 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 look at this as uh, you know they look at the upside. They they try to focus on the positives. Or uh, do you meet people that have been destroyed by this experience? Many, many people uh, view themselves as victims and feel that their lives have been profoundly affected in a negative way by these experiences that they didn't ask for and don't want. But there is a movement uh, for experiencers to stop viewing themselves as victims and to become proactive and to show strength in order to overcome this sense of victimization and to move on productively with their lives, recognizing that this is something that they've had to endure 
it hasn't necessarily been positive, but to live life as a victim is not healthy either. All right, we'll come back and continue our conversation with Kathleen Martin, Denise Stoner, The Alien Abduction Files, the most startling cases of human-alien contact ever reported, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico, and sent to Wright Field, Ohio, for further inspection. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. There was a, uh, a Roper poll uh, commissioned by um, uh, Bud Hopkins, John Mack, and I believe... David Jacobs. David Jacobs from, uh, yes, from uh, Temple University at the time, I believe, which showed... Nearly 4 million Americans have had certain indicator, quote-unquote, experiences and therefore had probably been abducted by aliens. Uh, we are discussing uh, alien abductions with Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner, author of The Alien Abduction Files. First of all, uh, uh, Kathleen, that poll, uh, based on your research, uh, do, do those numbers make sense? 4 million Americans may or have probably been abducted by aliens. I suspect that the number is less than that. Two of the questions on that poll uh, were of characteristics that are common across the general population. So I'm not sure about the validity of that poll. But when Denise and I participated in our UFO abduction experiencer study, uh, we discovered that it took us an entire year to find 50 experiencers with memories that they could share with us as part of this. And uh, it was widely uh, advertised in magazines and on websites and on radio shows, uh, and, uh, and still it took a, a considerable length of time in order to find only 50 individuals. Well, let's say, for example, it's not 4 million. Let's say it's 400,000. I mean, that's still... Uh, you know, that's more people that have seen an unassisted triple play or have seen wolves being born in the wild. I mean, that's a, that's a significant uh, a, a number. And so people might be left with saying, okay, so let's say 400,000 people have been abducted. Where is, you know, the tangible uh, evidence? Where Where are the cases where someone has been abducted in broad daylight in a public place where there are, you know, corroborating witnesses and so forth? Well, it appears that the uh, the people who are doing the abducting uh, are nocturnal, and this occurs at night. So, uh, you know, Denise will say that she has had some experiences during the daytime, but generally that is not as common as at nighttime. There are individuals who have observed uh these UFOs up close, people are missing from their natural environment, people are returned uh, wearing someone else's clothing, they might even be returned to the wrong home. Uh, And in the case of Betty and Barney Hill, there was considerable evidence, including uh, the pink powdery substance that grew on Betty's dress that has been analyzed in five separate laboratories. Uh, Also, 
symbols that she observed on the craft and sketched for me in the year 2000 from memory uh, were remarkably symbol, uh, similar to symbols that had been sketched by Bud Hopkins experiencers dating back to 1975. They had been kept in locked files and uh, were not publicly known, yet they were nearly identical. There's also Betty's star map. Uh, there is a weight of evidence that suggests that this is true and real. And uh, Denise, uh, uh, Kathleen mentioned you've had some experiences in the daylight hours. Can you share some of those with mm-hmm. us? Well, I, they, um, <clears throat> it was daylight when I was taken with my husband, sunlight shining all across the valley, and I was taken in Florida with my husband on a scuba diving trip. It was early morning, and the sun was up, and we were driving to our dive site. Uh, we, we had become cave divers, and that's perhaps one of the reasons where I can take everything in, in my stride, because cave diving is something that I call an exercise in controlled panic. And so... In order to do that, you really have to be a self-preserver and able to save yourself. But here we were driving up in North Florida on farmland. The only way to find these sinkholes is to know which farmer's property to turn left on and what fence and what tree. And we had spotted these objects sitting on the ground. uh, And I pointed them out. And then my husband looked and he saw them. And then before we could do anything about it, the next thing we knew, we were on another road in an area we didn't recognize, had to figure out where we were, how to get back to where we were going to go, how far away we were, and then Kathleen had to help us recover our memory on this one because, again, we were frightened. We we found our way back, we did our dive because we were gone for the weekend, and we had both seen the same entity that put me back in the truck. Okay, i got to jump in here again. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner, The Alien Abduction Files. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth... Call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Coming up in the uh, weeks ahead on The Conspiracy Show, crackpot historian Adam Go-Rightly uh, will uh, be here to talk about uh, the mysterious circumstances surrounding some of the deaths of famous comedians, people like George Carlin, of course, and Lenny Bruce, uh, Ilana Freeland, who is a, uh, an editor with Paranoia Magazine, will be here. Uh, she's working on a, a new a major book on chemtrails. And uh, Karen Hudes is a whistleblower with the World Bank. She's uh, in the legal department. I believe she's a senior legal counsel working some 20 years with the World Bank, uh, has become a whistleblower, trying to bring corruption in the World Bank to, uh, you know, to our attention and was uh, essentially arrested for her uh, her efforts with uh, and charged with unlawful entry but she was charged now keep in mind unlawful entry is not a federal offense but she was charged and arraigned by 
the U.S. Department of Justice, and she's serving possible jail time for this. Uh, but she wants to, the world to know that this she's being essentially set up because she's trying to bring, again, these corruption charges to our attention. Karen Hudes from the uh, World Bank, and this will be a Canadian exclusive. All right, back to our conversation with Kathleen Marden and Denise Stoner, the alien abduction files. And, uh, uh, Denise, I, I'm, I'm sorry I had to interrupt. I mean, these are right. very important uh, uh, stories and such a, a, a huge part of your life, and I realize it must be difficult to, to you know, to have them sort of... Uh, uh, dealt with in such a an abrupt, short manner, but unfortunately, we have time constraints here. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I want to get back to the um, the the Martin Stoner study on on commonalities among abduction experiencers. Uh, if I could get uh, uh, you, Kathleen, let's just there may be some people out there who suspect, maybe not having gone through some sort of a regression uh, therapy. Uh, who suspect that they may be uh, alien abduction experiencers. Can we go through some of the commonalities, some of the telltale signs that, in fact, one might have been abducted? Certainly. Uh, We asked uh, many, many questions. There were 45 in all. And 88% stated that their abduction memories were consciously recalled. Only 56% through dreams and 36% through hypnosis and 16% by other means or flashbacks. And there there may have been multiple combinations there. 67% said that they consciously recalled, not with hypnosis, the observation of an unconventional craft at less than 1,000 feet prior to abduction. Uh, 56% stated that they consciously recalled the observation of non-human entities immediately prior to an abduction while they were outside their home. indicated that they were not alone when they were taken. 62% of the witnesses had conscious recall of at least part of their experience. 43% stated that the witnesses reported the observation of a UFO near their house, their vehicle, their tent uh, prior to their abduction. And 58% stated that they were aware of having been examined aboard a craft. So you can see there is quite a large percentage of experiencers that have conscious, continuous recall of these experiences. Something that we were really surprised to learn, or at least I was, uh, is that uh, 88% of those who participated in the study as experiencers said that there had been paranormal activity in their homes immediately following an experience, and that this paranormal activity included poltergeist activity where something might fly off a shelf across the room, maybe a photograph would lift up off a wall and fly across a room, or there might be uh, light orbs floating through the air in the home. So this was very, very interesting to me. There was also a significant percentage that stated that they had developed new intuitive abilities or psychic abilities after an experience. The uh, the presence of um, uh, of greys. Now, is this consistent throughout time? I mean, did Betty and Barney did they describe greys as well? Yes, they did describe greys. They were. 
uh, slightly different than the stereotypical image of the, the little three and a half foot grays with the huge heads and, and black eyes. But in fact, Betty did keep this a secret that she and Barney had observed these smaller figures on board the craft, that they had perfectly round heads. Uh, also, the taller figures were about five feet tall. They were hairless. They had these large eyes. They remembered that uh, they reminded them of cats' eyes. So uh, they glistened uh, in the darkness. They uh, seemed to have a large pupil, but they remembered some yellow in the, uh, these eyes, too. Today we hear about eyes that are perfectly black. So I don't know if this was a different variety of grays or not, but the physical description is very, very similar from what I hear from uh, hundreds of other individuals today. So we have the grays. We have the uh, the insectoids. Uh, um, Denise, you described the uh, the insect-type uh, uh, ET as being the doctor. This was the one performing the, the medical... Yeah, the medical procedure. What else? We have so we have the insectoids. We have the grays. I mean, Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, uh, did they not also mention what appeared to be Nazi officers in uniform aboard this craft? Well, that's really not true. That's not uh, true. Okay, that was not part of Barney's conscious recall at all. He had stated that they moved with the precision of military officers, and uh, then under hypnosis. Dr. Simon was a psychoanalyst, and he was doing hypnoanalysis with Barney. So whenever Barney described anything that he recalled from the night of this close encounter and abduction, Dr. Simon was asking him to bring in information from his past that reminded him of this, uh, the level of intensity of fear that he was experiencing. So as Barney looked into this craft, the level of intensity of fear reminded him of being a soldier during World War II and observing a Nazi officer. It was never part of his conscious continuous recall. He always stated that he had observed non-humans dressed in shiny black uniforms. Well, thank you for that clarification. So how many do we have a handle based on your research and based on your personal experiences? Do we have a handle on how many different, I don't know, species or ET civilizations might be involved in this abduction phenomena? Well, there's some controversy about this, but the most prevalent forms of ETs that people uh, report are the greys, the insectoids, the reptilians. They observe hybrids. Uh, aboard these craft that seem to be a combination of humans and and greys and also a Nordic type of being. Uh, There are a far smaller percentage of reports about tall greys, I mean tall whites, tall goldens, um, blue beings, uh, hirsute beings, but this is uh, a very tiny percentage of the reports. Yes, that's very small. And for you, Denise, it's it's been primarily the the greys and the insectoids. Yes, yeah, so two sizes and types of greys. The smaller greys are I call them the soldiers, and they don't communicate at all and don't appear to move 
almost like robots, uh, or I would guess, and it's just a guess, unless they're ordered to. And did you get any sense of, uh, from the insect, uh, the insect creature, uh, any sense of, of, of empathy or understanding, or was it cold, calculating, was it benevolent, malevolent? I had a highly, highly intelligent being, and I just felt it. I don't know if that came across from him, but also a look that he gave me, a questioning look, almost asking me, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? I wish there was a way that I could get across to you what I'm thinking. It was that, just a tip of the head and a look in the eyes that I felt some sort of emotion. And I'm guessing, this is just a guess, but there was something there. Have you been able to piece together, Kathleen, what, what you think the alien agenda is? Can it be reduced to an alien agenda, or, or is it multifaceted? It's very difficult to piece this together, and there's been a lot of speculation uh, based upon some information that has been given to us by experiencers, uh, ranging from the idea that they are here to move humans uh, along on an evolutionary scale, by some to the idea that they uh, are only overseers and are watching us evolve and have no uh, intention of participating in our development to others who have stated that perhaps they are here to populate the earth and are raising these hybrid beings that will someday take over the Earth. So there are are a variety of uh, different hypotheses about the alien agenda, but there's no general consensus. We just have a a couple of minutes here. Uh, For those people listening who find this, you know, just difficult to wrap their head around, and and, and I think most of us would probably, you know, want to look the other way and say this can't be happening, uh, what evidence would you offer that this this phenomenon is real? Denise, uh, maybe you can start first. First of all, we've discovered that I'm reacting to the electrical field in a trimeter. We never had that occur before. It's My body is reacting. We've been able to trace an implant in my arm, both of us, so I have a witness, traveled from my elbow to my wrist and then disappeared. I have marks on my body. I have things that show up on the left side of my brain. Uh, and a neurologist stated nobody would know what those were. Uh, all kinds of things as evidence. People waiting for me to show up and I didn't. Uh, there are witnesses, people with me when I've been taken. So you just have to uh, document and be very careful to take pictures if you can. There's evidence out there and the more we can collect the better we are. Kathleen, very quickly to you, some evidence. Well, we have to look at these people's personalities and backgrounds as well. And uh, many individuals who report this are credible individuals who are respected in the community. Uh, They pass lie detector tests. They're missing from the natural environment. Uh, They uh, have patterned bruises on their bodies. Uh, There is some physical evidence, such as what my aunt has presented, and uh, it is fleeting. It's difficult to acquire, but there is some, and it causes me to believe that 
their statements are credible. Kathleen Marden and Denise Stoner, The Alien Abduction Files. Thank you to you both. I wish we had more time. Thank you. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Tim Spreen, thank you for your capable work behind the board. And, uh, of course, back next week with a great show for you. I hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.